It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Brian Callanan, President and CEO of Callanan Financial Associates. As an international best-selling author and highly credentialed investment banker, Brian has created the program Chief Exit Officer. The vision was to simplify the very complex world of mergers and acquisitions for business owners. Brian's experience in private wealth management and covered breakdowns costing these business owners millions of dollars in value and taxes. Business owners often learn very expensive lessons after it's too late. Brian educates and aligns with the CEO to help them get maximum value for their businesses. And Brian's passion for people is obvious, whether through this book or on stage. Brian, welcome into the corner office. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here, Brian. We met just a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. uh, through a wonderful group, the uh, Palm Beach uh, Men's Club that meets down here in Palm Beach uh, every Wednesday morning. And uh, I think we pretty much met on the first day on our way out, had a chance to chat a little bit. Uh, Brian is a believer, as I am, and uh, it's a way, great group to be able to you know, connect with other men and, and God during the middle of the week and have that pause opportunity. And Brian and I hit it off straight away, and I'm absolutely intrigued to hear more about Chief Exit Officer and what that means in this new program that you're launching. But we always like to start in the beginning, Brian, and that's learning a little bit about you, particularly your early years. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about you know, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. So I grew up in Woburn, which is just north of the city of Boston, and I'm one of four boys uh, raised by uh, mom and dad who are still together today, 58 years later. 58 years. That's yeah, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. After raising four four boys, which uh, people like to know whether or not my still my mom still has all her marbles. <laughs> <laughs> are you close? Are your brothers uh, and you within just a few years apart? We are. We're typical Irish. Uh, we're all like Irish twins. Irish twins. 14 right. months, 14 to 16 months apart. Right. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and no girls, no girls. Oh. Uh, we teased my youngest brother to say he was as close as dad was getting, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, he's a good sport. We, we have a good sense of humor in the family. We're all very close. Uh, dad was a Marine and ah. worked for the power company in Boston, Boston Edison for about 38 years. And mom was a nurse and, and found uh, a path to school nursing wow. so as to be involved in our lives and our activities. And, and she worked full time then, too, as the yeah. kids were growing up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but the uh, school nursing afforded her the opportunity to be home when we were, yeah. summers, school vacations, et cetera. So it turned out to be a blessing. What were some of the key lessons that you learned growing up, you know, that maybe mom and dad imparted on you? 
Well, I always say they're the best team I've ever seen. Mm. They work incredibly close together. They are incredibly adventurous. Every time yeah. I turn around, it's something different. You know, there'll be times he'll call me. He, he called me not long ago and said, I need you to go look up an RV park in Broward County. <laughs> and I'm like, that's down in Florida, listeners. Yes. I said, whatever for dad, what do you what do you need an RV park for? He goes, well, I bought an RV. <laughs> oh, like, really? Like you what? And so, uh, you know, it's moments like that. Or uh, we've had a home in upstate New York up in the Adirondacks by Lake George. And so at one point I had just rolled into town. I had a home in Lake Luzerne, actually, the neighbors right. there. And said, so I'm in town. Let's meet. They said, okay, meet at this restaurant here. I said, if you want me to swing by and grab you. They said, no, well, we're going to pull up on the boat. We'll come in off the dock. I'm like, what <laughs> boat? <laughs> you know? So Adventurous sounds like the right yeah, descriptor. Yeah. I so, love that. So they, they've been, I think dad retired at 55. Nice. He just turned 84. Wow. And yeah. They've really been all over God's green earth. And You're living it right. Having a good time together. Yeah. Now, did you grow up in a Christian home where mom and dad believers? And, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mom and dad, the grandmother and father and, you know, aunts and uncles with whom we were particularly close. We, right. we would spend, you know, Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, Mother's Day, Father's Day. And it was always around either church and a meal, really. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Love it. yeah. Were you a good student in school? I was not a great student in school. Um, I later found out that I had ADD ah. and I didn't quite understand what was going wow, on. Yeah. And probably weren't, you know, didn't diagnose it very well back then. No, yeah. no. In yeah. fact, it was just, uh, it was really hard because I was in a competitive Catholic school, right. you know, getting ready to go to college track, etc. Right. But it was in college that I went to the student union building and all this and began to learn to study and really learn some skills that I didn't have. And as time's gone on and I've acquired all these licenses and all these designations, I've come to find I'm a really good student now, right. only because I've learned how to Discipline. channel my strengths yeah. and use yeah. certain disciplines to have success right. with, with the studies. Right. You mentioned sports. What, what sports were you involved with in school? I played hockey, football, wow. and baseball, yeah. and my passion was hockey. Yeah, right, right. So the Bruins, a uh, big yeah. part of your life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, when did you leave Boston? Because your, your parents down here in Florida now, too. I think you yeah, they own a home in upstate New York, and yeah. they own a home in, in central Florida. I left Boston. I went. I studied to be a teacher. I went to Framingham State University, right, right. which its claim to fame is Father uh, Horace Mann was the father of education. Okay. And um, Krista McAuliffe, the teacher that went up in the Challenger, oh, right. went yeah. to Framingham. Ah. So I was a teacher. I taught high school history, and my first job was down in the Caribbean. So I spent two years down in St. Croix teaching no at a kidding. private school there. Yeah. Wow. And traveled that's pretty extensively cool. through the Caribbean. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun. How about entrepreneurial things? Did you do any of those as a kid? Have a ubiquitous paper route or other stuff? We did everything. Busy? I remember one time, it's a story I love to tell. I come running down from my friend's house. We're all going to the, uh, well, they were all going. I didn't know I wasn't going to end up going, but we all <laughs> were getting ready to go to a movie. And I come running down and I come through the front door and say, Dad, can I have money to go to the movies? At the time, it was probably like five bucks and popcorn, the whole thing. Right. right. And he's like, what do I look like? Wuban National Bank? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's I like, there's it. a lawnmower in the shed and gas. Go Get mow someone's lawn. So off I was spending money. Go make it. That's it. So yeah. I was, I was, I did have a paper route. Yeah. I, uh, I um, painted houses. Yeah. I learned how to paint. So I was painting fences and sheds oh. and houses and all, and then buildings. Later, I waited tables in college mm. and loved that. So I was a hustler. 
you know, and was always able to do the things I needed and wanted to do because I could find a way to go get some cash. Now, did mom and dad go to college? You said dad was a Marine. Did he take care of the, take advantage of the GI Bill? Or? He did later yeah. and went and yeah. got a degree from uh, Northeastern University. Right. My mom came up through uh, nursing school and went and got okay. uh, a multiple yeah. master's degrees in nursing. And it was probably me. expected that all you boys would go on to college at some point. Yeah, it, yeah, it pretty much was. Where were you in the pecking order? You the I middle? was the oldest of the, the four. Oldest. Oh, gosh. Gotcha. And okay. all four of us went to Catholic schools as college, college prep. Right. But two of my brothers went to Vogue Tech schools. Okay. And um, they did phenomenal in their respective careers. Yeah. And it was really eye-opening to see how the trades were discounted as an alternative hmm given where the culture was at the time, this was like 1980, that was all about a college track. Right, right. So I did my, myself, one of my other brothers did the college track and two of them went to the Vogue Tech schools and really, I'm a big fan, so I beat both drums. It just really, it's a matter <laughs> of the, 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 the child student yeah. finding their passion. Yeah. And if it's a trade, God bless them, go yeah, on a trade. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, Farmington is where he went to school. Was that- Framingham. At, oh, Framingham, sorry. Yeah. Was that a choice? that you made? Was it kind of the closest school? Did they have an education program that, you know, to become a teacher or what, what, what led you to go there? Um, I went to a school in Western Massachusetts called North Adams State when I first got out of school. And um, frankly, I was running with a lot of the wrong crowds. You know, mm -hmm. I was drinking and drugging. I was a train wreck, frankly. And I was doing my homework and, and becoming a better student, but it was for elementary ed. And while doing practice teaching with fourth grade classroom, eighth grade resource and a college course, I discovered it was the older kids that I was more comfortable with. Right. So I went to Framingham because they had secondary ed. Got it. Got it. Cool. And then that first job out of college, what was that? That was in St. Croix. Yeah, I right. actually went to visit my brother, uh, Timmy, who was the third son, was a plumber. He went down to St. Croix after Hurricane Hugo leveled the place. Wow. I went down to visit him and fell in love with the whole idea of the islands. And as it turned out, the teachers were all on holiday, as they called it. And I was interviewed by the headmaster of the school and they kept my information. And as it turned out, the gentleman whose job I took as the history teacher passed the bar and he went to Bermuda to practice law. Wow. So it, they gave you a call and said, come on down. Exactly. So wow. my brother and I became the caretakers of the Butler Bay Great House. And so, you know, on my $18,000 a year, we were drinking cheap beer and scuba diving <laughs> all over the Caribbean. <laughs> Fantastic life. Yeah. And so when did that end? That was on uh, 93. So yeah. I, did, I did two years. I figured if I had two years teaching experience, I'd be able to get something in Boston. So I did my two years. Yeah. And honestly, it's funny. I have been communicated with or had kids reach out to me that I had as sophomores. And so I wasn't there for their senior year. So right, right. I have few regrets, but I would say I wish I stayed a third year to see mm -hmm. those guys graduate. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a few of them have stayed in touch with me over the years, which That's was such so cool. a blessing to know yeah. I made that kind of a difference for them. Yeah. But uh, so 93, I went back to Boston, couldn't find a teaching position mm. and had to move quick because all that money I was making in the Caribbean didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> and beer's a lot more expensive in yeah, Boston than yeah. it is down there too, I imagine. So uh, I ended up finding a sales position in technology okay. and, and did that and shoveled snow for two years in Boston and forgot how much I hated it <laughs> <laughs> and moved to Florida now 27 years ago, no kidding. Be so 28 years in July. So I spent yeah. two years in Boston living in Southie and um, 
it was crazy. And it's made national news how when the winter hits, everybody shovels their spot, puts out some old paint can or right. a lawn chair or right. whatever. And it just was, I was, I was done with the winters. And yeah. so I came down here, it'll be now 20 years, 28 years come yeah. July. Awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> so when did you first start managing people? What, what job was that? Um, well, I suppose during the course of every job I had, there might be some team I was on that required yeah. me having to manage a project and people and whatnot. So, and, and so when you were working in that sales position, what happened next then you came down here, started a new career again, right? Went into a new yeah. sector. Yeah. I was in telecom. I was in telecommunications the whole time from right. 93 to 2000 and I was selling and, and, and frankly doing well at it. And so you worked for Verizon. I, I worked for Verizon yeah. for a while, doing national and global accounts later. But prior to that, I was doing um, working for an integrator, putting in all kinds of equipment from computer networks, phone systems, right. cabling systems, etc. And so I got to work really closely with the ops teams because I was the one neck to choke with the CEOs <laughs> that were trusting me with their technical. You, you made the sale, then you had to stand behind it with your That's engineers. That's it. Right, so, right. so it really, really taught me how to work cohesively with mm. the ops team, so that that my client got what they wanted, right. and ops understood exactly what the vision of the, you know, client was. Yeah, under promise and over deliver. Comes exactly. Tonight, yeah, right? yeah. I was, I was, and, and I had really good training and really good mentors that taught me to uh, over under under what is the phrase? Under promise and over deliver. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. But you got into real estate for a minute as well. When was that? I got married to a gal whose family. She had two young girls from a previous marriage, and her family was in the business. Mm -hmm. Y2K had come and blew up. I about six months later, I was still in technology. It was pretty ugly. Yeah. And her family was doing quite well in real estate. Real estates began to really pick residential, up. Commercial, residential, residential, yeah, in, in West Fort Lauderdale area, and uh, must have been booming back then. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so they said, "Have you ever thought about being in real estate?" And I had. Right. And so I went and got my real estate license. Went and got my mortgage brokers license. So I understood how to fund a deal right. and off we went and we had a tremendous career right up until the credit crisis. So mm. we began to see the writing on the wall in 2006. Right. Right. And when all those loans are being, it was a lot of those in Florida, right? Yeah. That, you know, you could, you could walk across the street and sign your name. You could get a loan. Yeah. yeah right. Fog a mirror. Right. Fog a mirror. Well, what we right. saw was we had so many listings that the listings were lasting longer and uh -huh. we were seeing the Pers, uh, excuse me, the prospective buyers having a harder time getting lending right, because right. the credit was tightening. Yeah. And so you look back then, right, 2006, 2007, 2008, and then boom, the whole thing yeah. blew up. Yeah. yeah. So was it at that time you kind of made the transition to financial services? And tell us a little bit about the thinking process behind that. Well, I got, I got divorced at the okay. time. So when the market blew up, my marriage went with it. It was pretty, pretty dark day. Um, and I still had maintained all my board positions and my contacts in tech and was given an opportunity to go work on the national account and global account team with Verizon Business and did that during basically seven, eight, and nine. Mm. So I was there for three full years and the CIOs were all running around with their hair on fire because crazy time. And, yeah, in a bear market like we were, yeah. the bully with the stick was the CFO who was taking budgets from all kinds of projects right, right. and those Cutting guys, left and right. yeah, those guys were all running around with their hair on fire and looking for jobs because mm. they were also very expensive talent that were right. getting let go of. Right. So I went to a friend who was an investment banker making all kinds of money and said, where's the money going? Figuring mm. he'd say, go into healthcare, sell medical equipment. You'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, he said, your skills transfer, come aboard. 
wow. And I was like, really? And this guy, I had never seen anybody I knew make more money than this guy. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Right. So I went into investment banking with them. They were uplisting Chinese and Brazilian companies onto the New York Stock Exchange. And this is a nine and 10. This is, this is, in two, this is 2010. 2010. At so this time. Just, just as the economy started coming back. We began to come out of it because right. of all the quantitative easing, all the printing right. of the money, trying to, right. you know, tarp. And they were saving the yep. auto business, yep. right? And so, uh, you know, there were some things I was learning about that group in some of the companies. They really weren't ready to go public. The fees were great, yeah. but these companies weren't ready yeah. to go public. Right. So I was uncomfortable with it. Went to another company. Uh, they were more traditional investment bankers, but the cast of characters was relatively the same. Yeah. So I was uncomfortable with it. Now, let's, let's just stop a minute because there's a there's a common thread here. We're going to get to this when we talk about your exit because over lunch, you're telling me about how much upsetting it was to you when you saw a lot of these folks that came in that really needed some very specific financial planning, but all they got was stocks and bonds in the yeah. process. So, so you began to see this at the beginning of this job. Yeah. How much of your faith you think drove that, you know, was there, was there some ethical things that, that you did? So tell us a little bit about that. What, what, you know, was it kind of the inside, you know, feeling that you get, was it the Holy spirit whispering in your ear on the shoulder or, you know, what were those things that kind of triggered those reactions? Because we all have them, mm. but many of us kind of ignore them. And if you ignore them long enough, guess what? Yeah. They you become one of them. You yeah. One of them. Absolutely. So, so earlier on when I was seeing this, it was less the spirit of the Lord that helped me see that, but that came later when mm. the book came and I can right, right. speak to that detail we'll later. Minute, yeah. This particular part of it, it was really more the street kid in me, right? Uh, so I grew up on the streets. It was pretty rough and tumble place, yeah. drinking, drugging, you know, you know, these are the Walburn streets or the it, South Boston streets? The whole me Metro Boston. <laughs> Metro Boston. I mean, Metro right. Boston. I mean, it's, it's a tough you know, place. Yeah, you, you, know, place. you know, you know, it's crazy. I mean, right. there's times it was crazy. And I was a hockey player. And right. so and, and right. we, we were as much alcoholics as we were uh, um, adrenaline junkies. Right. Sure. So, sure. So that was also a good time at the time. But anyway, it was really more the idea of right and wrong. Mm. in fair play yeah and right. when someone was doing something that wasn't right and this guy you know the the, the subject the target didn't even know that they were the right. victim of right. being played right right they were, were being bullied and didn't even know it that's it yeah. Yeah. right yeah. and and as one of those people that jumped into those situations often it might not have been my fight mm. but this guy clearly is outmanned or outgunned yeah and so yeah. i'd find myself in jams that weren't mine for no other reason but someone had to step had to in set up for him. Oh, you know i mean that was really what drove yeah. that stuff yeah. so um, anyway back to the story so yeah. we're on the timeline so you're beginning to see this and saying this is the right place for me yeah you make a shift and then what happens I got picked up by a team in Palm Beach. They were the largest in the Southeast region. That team went on to raise about $4 billion in assets. I was the marketing guy. Mm. I was doing all the public presentations in front of these families. I was the first line of qualifying those families. They had to have $5 million or more to work with us. Wow. They tended to often be business owners that had had their liquidity event. Right. And then depending on the families, every story was different. You asked me a couple questions over lunch and the answer was it depends. <laughs> and it's a very right, it's a right. very dynamic space sure. as to how did this business get built sure. right was it was it a legacy business and this is the second or third generation or or whatever the case might be so we've got to be nimble but more often than not 
I often joke, if this guy's the sausage king of Chicago, we can't expect him to understand exactly, you know, the, the legal and the accounting. No. And, and He knows sausage. That's it, right? right? It's, not, it's not necessarily the M&A stuff. Right. And most of them take the position that they can just delegate this to the lawyers because the lawyers are the smart guys in the room, mm. right? Or the CPAs because there's a number associated with it. Right. And it's what drove me crazy yeah. because when I discovered the problem we can discuss in a second, you know, I went back into the investment banking circles where all the deal guys were to see the lawyers, the CPAs, the financial, well, we were the financial advisors, right? The insurance advisors, the risk managers, the uh, management consultants. And I'd say, when do you bring in the financial advisors? Right. Because we'd be the ones setting the tempo as to really what's the target number we're going for for the company right. to get the income necessary to take care of this family all the way through their retirement. Well, when I would say, when do you bring us in? They'd all kind of look at me like, well, we don't do that. It's like, well, like, why, why not? Why, right. why not? So that right. we can do this. If you're the lawyer, what do you give a rip if I do this part here and help them figure out what the right number is? Yeah. And they would all say the same thing. Well, we don't do that. Why? Because we don't want to screw up our deal. So the wise guy in me would say, really, your deal, yeah. not Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, business not, not owner's their, deal, yeah, who right. sweat and lose sleep all week long trying to make payroll hmm. or miss the big dance, you know, the recital, the right. anniversary, right. the birthday, your deal. And they'd look at me with stink eye and walk away. I'm like, this uh, is not cool. Yeah. And it's how yeah. the business is. It's the it's the culture. It's a 50 year old broken model. And you know, as you told me over lunch, you know, whether it's a, a widow that's just trying to protect her assets, or the guy that you know hopes to live to 100 and needs financial planning, you know, <laughs> I think you mentioned it. <laughs> when only thing you have is a hammer in your tool set, every problem is a nail, yeah. and that's what these guys would do. Right? They just come out and give them socks and bonds and send them on their way, and they thought they were fine. Well, that's it. And 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 in my book, I did two things. Right. So. And, and we can talk about that when you say so. But one of the things I tried to teach in the book was the safer side of the equation that does mm. not get taught by the financial advisors. Right. And I've taken this to the highest levels in the business. And the best they can tell me is possibly 5% of the advisors out there even present solutions with life insurance, long-term care, disability insurance, or annuities. The things that you need. The things that you need. For longevity in life. To get that portfolio to get you to 95 or 100 years yeah, old. And yeah. people are living that long more frequently right, and right. will continue with modern medicine. Life expectancy has doubled yeah. in our lifetimes. So yeah. Our parents, you know, grandparents basically had hoped to live maybe about our age. Right. And now we're living, you know, much longer. Yeah. Fascinating. Long time ago, you were an old man. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel that every morning, Brian. So, so let's talk about chief exit officer. I was intrigued by that in one Thank of our you. first meetings and told me about that. And it really captured my attention because being an independent businessman, and I talked to many of them, you know, we don't really think about that. Mm. You know, we're all so busy running our lives, supporting our children, you know, serving our God, yeah, being in a situation that. where, you know, we're really just trying to, you know, enjoy our life and give back as much as we can, hopefully move from success to significance along the way. Mm. But, uh, you know, this exit planning, and we're not talking about exiting a company, right? We're talking about what our personal exits look like. So let's talk about your book, you know, your inspiration for reading it, uh, writing it, which I think is amazing. Tell that mm. story. And then I want to talk a little bit more about this program. 
Sure. So the inspiration was I began keeping notes on things that I was seeing that didn't square with me with my training. When I stepped into that office in Palm Beach, I was with guys that were 25, 30 years already in the business, and I was relatively new. They wanted me for my marketing chops and my mm. ability to stand in front of a room and make a presentation. So as a teacher stepping in front of that room, I needed to be prepared. I studied like crazy, picked up all these licenses and designations and learned a few things. You got a few after your name. I, I, I kind of lost track. You're a CEP. Yeah. Uh, an AA. I don't even want to list them. All. I, got se <laughs> I got seven of you them. Seven of them. Seven I of love them. it. Yeah, I it's love insane. It. But I, my, my point is I did my homework. So yeah, when I bring absolutely. an attitude and an opinion to the table on something, it's because I did my homework. Right. And so I began to take some notes of things that I saw that were wrong. And so when I challenged the guy whose name was on the door, I said, we had three situations happen here. One was this lady who knows that she's got longevity and was concerned about that. You and I both know we should have presented long-term care to her. This other couple comes through the door and the wife is 20 years junior, the gentleman who's got all kinds of money, but her concerns, what's going to happen when he passes away because right. they've got a big lifestyle? Right. We both know that they should have had a life insurance policy. And this third one was a tech exec who had all kinds of money, but didn't want to worry about who was in the White House and what the markets were doing. He just needed 250 grand a year. We should have given happen. him an annuity yeah. and that never happened. What gives? Yeah. And this guy paused, looked at me like he'd got caught cheating on his wife. God forbid, <laughs> and just blurts out, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh, Every gosh. pore in my body excreted sweat. I walked back to my desk, sat there staring into the screen for two hours. It's like, I'm done yeah. because I'm Can't the guy this. out there on the stage telling them we've got all this talent, all these tools. We can take a first, take care of first, second and third generation only to find out that the model that we were brought up in as advisors is it's all about the AUM, the assets under management. Right. Right. It's counterintuitive to expect them to make a withdrawal from that pile and fund life insurance, long-term care, disability yeah. insurance. Well, because the fees aren't there. The fees right. aren't there and it's not how they're measured and rewarded. Right. So it's an inherent conflict of interest. Right. So I wanted them to understand that. As far as the chief exit officer, what I was seeing, these people would come to us at the end of the road with their bag of money. And so I would ask them, we would ask them, what was the number you were solving for? They don't really even pay attention to what they're pulling out of the business as an income, but what they're spending on the corporate credit card. Mm. So when you do mm. that math, and if this is what your lifestyle is, and you want to maintain your lifestyle, you need to put a future value to that. It's a math equation, right? That number times however many years you've got left getting you to 95 years old on average is the number we're solving for, right? No right. one, these guys often don't have a valuation for their business. So they don't know what the business is worth. Somebody throws a check at them for five, 10, 15, $25 million, and it doesn't make a difference because they've got lifestyles commensurate with the money they're bringing in. And when you tell somebody that they're going to have to live on half of that, and they discover they sold the golden goose right. prematurely, right. believe me when I tell you, I saw tears in the eyes of people with 10 and $20 million portfolios. And for me, that just sat as wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was what really kept me digging deeper into the problem and studying, seeking a solution. So you went home, saw Jesus and decided to write the book. When, yeah, when, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Tell us that story. Okay. So uh, when COVID hit, we were sent home right. and I have this beautiful picture of Christ at the front door, which is how I was raised, you know, from um, Sacred Heart. And I'm looking at him eyeball to eyeball. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say, write the book. I, this is 2020, March of 2020. Right, I've right. been keeping notes since 2013. 
And he says, write the book. I'm like, are you sure? Lord? He said, write. <laughs> he, he said, do you trust me? Mm. I said, I do. Yeah. He said, write the book and I'll bless it. And honestly, I sat there and cried my heart out because it was, it was just, it was just so overwhelming right. to have that experience and then know the project I was just committing to taking on while I'm staring him in the face. Now I can remember the visuals of the book with a big fist coming through, but tell us the title of the book. The title of the book is Don't Get Bullied by Your Bank mm. or Anyone Else. The right. five-step plan to exit your business with all the money you need to live the life you want. I love it. What's funny is that that came at a point when I was all jacked up while I was writing this thing. <laughs> and my notes going back to 2013 were all about the book was going to be titled Women, Widows, and Wealth. Right, right. Because you saw so many women that were being exploited. Well, the industry, yes, I saw a lot of families being exploited, yeah, right? right? But my concern, and it's kind of, it's a thing in banking that, that they're now beginning to pay attention to the women mm. because the men used to handle this with guys that they would drink with and hunt right, with and golf right, with and right. whatnot. The men would predecease the women right. and then the women were stuck with the plan that was put together or without one. Right. And that's right. my concern yeah, because, yeah. and I, and I'd be in front of an audience and I shared this with you, ladies and gentlemen, I have good news and bad news. You're going to live the to be 90, 95, or 100. <laughs> Gentlemen, bad news, as I'm tapping my virtual cigar, you're going to go first. What's the plan to take care of the caretakers when the caretakers can no longer take care of themselves? Right. And that room is silent. Right, right. So that was going to be the title of it. It ended up being a chapter. And then really, it was kind of the street kid in me that just yeah. really, it's it, it, what, what's happening out there there's a lot argue, of bullying, it's like it, you said before. Yeah, yeah. I could argue that they're being they're being taken advantage of yeah. it, and it, it it's really, you know, I don't even know what to say except to say I want to be part of a different solution because a lot of people need the help. We're going to have it statistically. We know this as a fact. We're going to have a tsunami of widows that cannot take care of themselves. Right. right. So you wrote the book during COVID, yep. got it done, published, mm -hmm. and then did this chief executive officer program kind of evolve from that? Was that yeah, kind I, of the incubator for it? Yeah. Tell us a little I, about that. I, I, so I wrote the book. It came out. It went uh, number one in six countries in five categories. Congratulations. Thank you. I then began to use it to open up some doors to get some speaking gigs and did other podcasts and got some smaller stages. Right. And a, a larger stage was uh, in... May, I was the keynote on exit planning in front of 400 CEOs in Vegas, which was a nice opportunity, right? And um, while working with some other practitioners whose eyes were being opened for the first time as I was sharing some of these things, because these practitioners are used to really only being in their lane, right. the lawyers, the CPAs, the management consultants, etc. I operate from a framework that brings them together but as the sergeant at arms, if you will, mm. for the business owner, and I say to the business owner, you don't have to know this at a technical level, but you need to understand this at a practical level so you can manage them and not just leave them to their own devices because right. you will get an outcome you didn't bargain for. Yeah, yeah. And that's what drove that. While talking to them, one of them said, you should be on the board of all of these companies. Right. And I said, really, why? In what capacity? And he says, as the chief exit officer, because they don't see this, they don't ah. see that, don't, they don't see the other. What's funny right. is I have ADD. That went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> <laughs> Five days later, I'm sitting there pounding on the computer. It was kind of like, squirrel. I look off. It's like, I'm thinking, would that guy say chief, chief exit, exit officer. officer? I'm like, that's brilliant. That's a big idea. So I reached out to my IP attorney. I said, this doesn't happen to be available, does it? And he looked it up and it is. And here we are. And, and I'm getting good feedback from yeah. it. Terrific. Summarize the five steps. Give us the headlines. 
Um, well, basically, it's a matter of number one, assessing where people are. Right. So and in, in, in those assessments is a personal readiness assessment. Are you and your partner or you and your spouse or whatever ready to retire? Because right. in some cases, one is and the other one's not. Um, is the business transferable? Is it built in a way where you can transfer it to somebody else or all these bright ideas in your head and not documented? Right. right, right. Is the business attractive? Hmm. To others, to other investors, private yeah. equity firms. Because what happens firms. is a lot of times people come to the table, they'll flirt for six months and all this and then ghost you. And it's because they don't want to look you in the eye and tell you you have an ugly baby. <laughs> you know, it happens a lot. And then basically, I always recommend people get a valuation. I work with an award winning mm. M&A valuation team that's going to tell you where you are. So right. I raised my son on the Boy Scout program. Right. We took them hiking out into the middle of nowhere. And one of the phrases I found myself using that I thought maps to the business owners is if you don't know where you are. How, you How know do you know where you're going? going? That's right. Exactly. Right. So the valuation exactly. basically tells them where they are. Yeah. And then the next thing that has to happen is they have to secure that value, mm-hmm. whether it's a buy sell agreement between you and I or key man insurance to make sure that we've got coverage there. And then you go about de-risking the business, because if you have whether it's a client that represents 10 percent or more of your income, that's a red flag. If you don't have right. good processes and procedures and systems, that's a problem. Right. If you don't have a good reputation in your own space or if you do get the documentation, we were number one in this. We were yeah. rated top testimonials. Five. All that stuff goes a long way. So it's those things that need to be done on the front end. And you come in as a team. Right. You've got some folks that are advising they are of the same ilk of you with yeah. regards to their ethics and their approaches. And what does that team look like? What kind of folks do you come up alongside and help others? with? You're going to love this answer. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that out of your mouth so many times today, Brian. But in, some I get it. Ca- in some cases we come in. So I like to come in first and foremost with the family, with the business owner themselves and begin to lay the groundwork so they understand right. this and see this is I use the right. analogy. It's like you're the owner of this NFL team. I'm the coach with boots on the ground, and then I'm going to help call the plays and know who the players are. You may very well have an attorney that's astute at doing this and will keep them or in a a CPA or whatever it is. If it turns out, though, that there's someone that this is a little beyond them, most business owners' wealth, 80 to 90% of their wealth is wrapped up in their illiquid business. So this is consequential. If we have to fly someone in and parachute them in to write a document or do an audit or do something, we'll bring in a team member, you know, that has credentials similar to mine and, you know, get that project handled and then go to the next thing. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, with regards to, you know, the situation, when, when does somebody, you know, what, what what are the signs, I guess, um, as a business owner, when I might need this, you know, is it, is it having your own personal doubt about how am I going to take care of my kids or my younger wife or, you know, uh, potentially leave a legacy, you know, and a foundation for what I want to do. Is, is that when I come to you or what, you know, what are the, what are the areas in which, you know, uh, those problems kind of tend to, you know, show themselves out and, and someone should say, Hey, I need some help here. Cause, I, cause the problem with entrepreneurs is they don't really like going outside. I was listening to a LinkedIn today about how Steve jobs, when he was 12 years old, called Bill Hewitt. He needed some parts, you know, his phone was listed in the in the in the phone book. Right, answered the phone, got the parts. He ended up getting a summer job, and and Steve was famous for going out there and asking for help all the time. Yeah, but a lot of folks let their ego get in the way, and they don't reach right. out. So right. So what are the problems? What are the signs that that this is needed? 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, let me just speak to that last comment, which is, and then they otherwise just delegate this. Was, right. And this is what That's I say right. to them. So I said, yeah. what's made you a successful CEO is your ability to delegate. This right. is not a project you can delegate right. entirely, right. which is why you right. have to understand it at a practical level, right? So, you know, when I asked this question once before, when should someone start thinking about exit planning? The minute you think you want to go into a business, you need to know your exit strategy mm, and you need to begin to build and construct the business and tweak and de-risk the business in a way where when the time comes, you seek to exit. If it's on your terms, you're turning something over that's a best in class company for right. you to get maximum dollars out of it. Right. However, 50% of the deals go down from what we call the five D's, death, disability, divorce, dispute and disruption. <laughs> So <laughs> wait a minute, let's repeat those again. The five D's are death, death disability, right. divorce, dispute between partners and disruption in the industry. Yeah. Wow. And and that's what drives 50% of the deal. So if one of those things happened to you and you're not ready, you're, you're just, and your plan's not in place. Your plan's not in yeah. place. Most of those businesses unceremoniously turn the sign, gone fishing and closed down right. and that's it. Right. right. That's And that's sad because there's a lot of really good, small, profitable businesses that could be transferred to someone else, you know, and sometimes you can transfer them right to the employees. So bottom line, we all have to have an exit strategy. We're going out either in a box or on our terms. <laughs> <laughs> I think I prefer to go out on my terms. Yeah. I'd like to see that happen for people. So, so in your estimate, what percentage of, you know, business owners that maybe have a business between five and $50 million dollars? Have that problem? I mean, how many of them actually have an exit plan in your estimation? About 20%. Wow. We have those statistics. In wow. fact, I just took the chair role for the state of Florida for what we call the state of the owner readiness, where we're going to do a survey of business owners. And we know they say when we promote, do you think it would be good an idea to get exit planning education? Absolutely. How right. many of you have it? You know, 70, 80, 90% will say, yes, one should have that. 5, 10, 15% of the people have gotten any homework wow. done on the subject. Wow. And wow. so that's what we're trying to do is really create some exposure for the need for it because yeah. the business owners are not problem aware. No. They think it's as simple as selling their house. And that's, that's the right. best analogy I can come up with. Yeah. I was telling you about that, that $15 million yeah. home right. I sold last right. year. It's the exact same thing. I said, listen, we can get this thing done, but there's a process. And I went and got a, uh, in their case, it's called, it's not a valuation like you would a business, but we got a, um, an appraisal. appraisal. Right. I brought in an inspector. We looked for everything that was broken, missing, obsolete, missing, or whatever the yeah. case might be. We fixed it. I brought in a world-class uh, videographer, photographer, and stager. And when we sold the thing, in, in less than 60 days, I got a $15 million home with a contract on it, above appraised value, and got the thing closed. Yeah. It's the same process right. as selling a sure. business. Yeah. And yeah. so if we go through all of these things, and what's interesting is business owners don't understand that they're under inspection all the time. Right. When you look at the supply chain of who they're getting their raw materials from to create their secret sauce and the clients with whom they work to deliver that, somewhere in that process is someone keeping an eye on them. Yeah. Whereas if your particular spot in that chain of command is important to someone else, they don't want to risk losing you because you're providing a deliverable that allows them to deliver to somebody else. Right, so right. if somebody comes to you and says, hey, we'd like to make an offer, and it's what we call a strategic buyer, you're going to get better than best-in-class pricing for that business in the event you're ready to field that yeah. unsolicited offer. 
Because if not, great, one of those D's hit you. That's right. And it's too late. That's right. And too 35 hard to do years it. of all that work you did never gets realized. Yeah. And people are wondering yeah. why they're broke at this age yeah. after working that many years on that business. Brian, we could talk all afternoon, but we won't. Okay. <laughs> but we always have one last question we ask all our guests. And in this case, I'm going to put a little twist on it because obviously we've got a younger audience. A lot of folks are listening to this and, you know, wanting to obviously gain a little bit of wisdom. And what would you say to someone who is, you know, maybe got their own sights on having their own business someday, being that CEO, but, you know, kind of gone through that transformation that you've gone through. Mm. You know, maybe they're in an industry where they don't really feel that the ethics are right. Maybe mm. it's their boss. Maybe it's their past employer. Maybe it's the industry or the yeah. sector they're in. What would you tell them? What kind of life advice would you give them with regards to, you know, kind of making it through that into the next zone? They've got to be true to themselves first. And for me, it was a matter of my faith. Hmm. I trusted myself enough to know that I'd do the right thing, but I also trusted my faith in God that he had a plan. Yeah. And if I see something that was out of alignment, I could make whatever changes I could make to realign either A, myself, or B, the way I'm operating in this space, albeit if it's inconsistent with how the space is accustomed to run. It's exactly what the chief exit officer is all about. Right. I'm going absolutely against the grain of how this industry works because I'm looking to put the business owner front and center and make them the priority. Right. Like right. no kidding. Yeah. That's on all the advertisement of all yeah. of these companies. Like nobody delivers. Nobody delivers. And how do I know yeah. that? Because I was yeah. at the end of yeah. the road after which all of those expensive practitioners worked with this family and they came to us and we would ask what should have been basic questions that were never asked never of that asked. guy yeah. who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on all of these practitioners getting through this process. Wow. You know? Brian Callanan, president and CEO of Callanan Financial Associates. Thank you for sharing your journey into the corner office. Appreciate you having me. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.